Hello and welcome to episode four of Diaphoria, the final episode of the season. I'm Dracos here with Vedia, so we're representing the LEC, the European, the Euphoria half of this podcast. And on the opposite end, live from Paris, representing the dive half, we have Kobe and Chat. And yeah. uh, gentlemen, it was it was an interesting weekend. And yeah. it was a great weekend. Yeah. I feel it like was the space even between more... us has never been larger. Like, <laughs> normally, I feel like I I'm right next to you. trying to come up with some sort of joke there. <laughs> nice one. Yeah. Visual example of the gap for anyone. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <come> <laughs> <on>. <laughs> Wait, but in this example, we're the one that finals. You're the one oh, further away true. from finals. <laughs> it, <laughs> it is the visual example. This is the visual. It's fun. A boom. <laughs> You guys are always doing NA proud, attending yeah. finals every year. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, um, so first topic of the day, obviously, um, IG versus FPX and SKT versus G2 played this weekend. But in the most recent clickbaity BuzzFeed <laughs> titles, Andrew Vettius Day yeah. coming out bold after a series where yeah. G2 let won 3-1 read, and saying... Let me read you the read quote. It, read it. Yeah, from my favorite uh, G2 <laughs> slash SKT analyst. Uh, so he did this seven-hour VOD review, but I think the most important thing that he said was, uh, ultimately, I believe that SKT played better than G2 did. I, I feel like that's kind of uh, odd to whoa, say. Whoa, that's not the quote, uh, Jack. That's not no, the quote. That is actually what it says. It says, ultimately, I believe that SKT played better than G2 did, but G2 drafted in a way that allowed them to come back into the game. Interesting. I was convinced. I'm convinced <laughs> I said that they played better League of Legends. Oh, wait. So you think even the quote was misquoted? I, I thought that was the quote. Either way, the, uh, what's your question, Jack? What do you want to challenge? I, mean, you I, think, I think you should oh, explain. I, I don't want to challenge. I, I just I wanted to, to talk right, about so the clickbait title. Here's, um, <laughs> I'm going to give the NA guys a very, a very easy... You're just instantly shouting. Yeah, I, I love it. I, you're like, I can't come into I this at a normal <laughs> volume tone. I have to be yelling. All right, all right. Thank People you, need thank to you. understand. I will calm down. I will calm down. <laughs> let's, um, let's think back to Team Liquid versus TSM Finals Spring Split NALCS. Ooh, wow, okay. Do you remember... We're going, we're going back. Spring yeah. Split, yeah, mm. earlier this year. Do mm. you remember TSM had an 8K gold lead in game five. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and then that one Ezreal death ultimately cost them the game. Uh, yeah, I, I, I we remember. actually rewatched that game before Summer Split. It was like that death and then like two other team fights that people forget about. Yeah, but yeah, obviously yeah. the things. one, the Skarner alt stands out. Yeah, um, but like that led to a Baron which gave TL a foothold back into the game and then they managed to come back, right? Mm -hmm. Would you not agree that for the majority of that game... TSM was in control, and it was their game to lose. Yes. Would you say Which means they played better? So for a greater percentage of time, would you not say that TSM was playing better League of Legends than Team Liquid was? Yeah. Right. So the <laughs> argument that I'm making is that the percentage of time that SKT played the game against G2, they were playing better League of Legends. However the bits that mattered the most and the ultimate game-defining moments, G2 played better, which makes them the better team, which means that G2 deserved to win. Yeah. Which is the ultimate point that I'm trying to get across. Yeah. Because while I think that there were draft elements that made it harder for SKT, and while I think there were execution elements that also cost um, SKT many of those games, I ultimately think that in the moments that mattered most, G2 played better, and that allowed them to win. And that is the thing that I feel very strongly about because yeah. it seems that fans need to believe that 
the winning team has to have played better throughout the series. Yeah, were, were you actually catching flame for the the quote on Reddit? I was mainly just poking fun. Like, no, no, no. You seem very serious about this. I, I, had a, I, had had a, <laughs> I had a message this morning saying how disgraceful it was that I was a traitor to Europe <laughs> and how... How can I, as a European analyst, say that G2 played badly? And well, this is just well, one of those situations. Is, I told you it's not like, to talk about our private messages <laughs> on, the, on, on the podcast, please. But yeah, so like, um, it was just one of those things where I think fans see it as a means of me trying to take something away from G2. But again, like as, as Jack mentioned, the 30 seconds of quote that was taken is what a lot of people are basing their opinions off. Um, mm -hmm. But the other big thing is like G2 do so many creative things to solve so many problems. And like one of the best examples is in game one, when they found that pick onto Faker, like most bot lanes would have based, but Perks and Mickey sit in the small blue pixel brush and uh, Yankos body blocks the ghosts that do not reveal them. At least I don't think they reveal them, but they do reveal Yankos. So Faker thinks that there's no one in the bot side jungle, so he feels safe. And this creativity to then find this flank to kill Faker gives G2 an opportunity back into the game and they don't lose the Baron after Caps dies bot lane. And it's like little things like this, like these small moments are what make G2 such a fantastic team and ultimately why they were the better team against us. <laughs> yeah, I think the the issue that you encountered is that you, you, over, <laughs> you oversimplified yourself, right? And that's going to be... I think that's inherently something that you need need to avoid when you oversimplify it down to a phrase like that, where um, like, OK, so the SKT played better than G2 because you need to have the more detailed explanation or people are going to have those sorts of conclusions, because while you can say um, maybe the quantity uh, of errors or the duration of time. Uh, where one team outperformed another team, you also have to have the degree of those errors or the degree um, of the differences in those plays, right? Because in League of Legends, a late game mistake, the degree that to which that affects the game is much higher. And so sure. that's why you you put more weight on, on something like, oh, Sven getting caught super late like that. There is more pressure later on in the game. And the degree that it affects it is much higher. So that's it's one of the things that is inherent in our game. And everybody from solo queue or from even normal games under, understands and feels that, you know, you can do so much work to get your team into a position to win. But everybody knows that feeling of, oh, yeah. no, this person just made a game breaking mistake. And that is what matters. That's what's going to yeah, you know, ultimately determine the game. So if you oversimplify a comment down to X team played better, but um, ended up uh, losing, then like that, that's that's definitely going to like break some cardinal rules of just logic. right? Sure. I do think, though, that there is still so much nuance in the way that the series went. So um, just talking about not necessarily the quote or the conversation around the quote, but the actual series yeah. in general is uh, I had a tweet as well about. Six Barons to one, SKT versus G2. Like 13 Elemental Drakes to nine, SKT over G2. Four 15-minute advantages, SKT over G2. Yes, the games were close the whole time, but the thing that won it to me, and Kobe, you and I had this ar argument on this or that when we were like, which honor do you give G2? Do you give them great shot calling or tilt proof? And while I think you could say arguments for both, I would say 
tilt proof mainly because I felt like SKT were the ones that got affected by the pressure and G2 was just balling out. They were just playing League of Legends. Like it didn't matter that they had I some disagree. early. Ga- I, I know you do. It's fine. <laughs> I am the one talking right now. <laughs> SKT uh, was not able to keep up with G2 who just kept running their plays. It didn't matter that they were behind or that Perks was one in six. He still was able to fly into that last team fight and pick up a quadra kill because he wasn't tilted despite dying so many times in the past. So that's the thing that I think was a flip of the script from previous SKT versus X teams is G2 were the ones that you could never close out. It didn't matter if they were 1,000 goal behind they still had control of the pace of the game. They still were able to make the clutch plays. And throughout the history of League of Legends, that team's been SKT. So I think we mentioned it during the cast, but it, it's still something to appreciate how experienced the G2 players actually are. Perks has been going to Worlds for four years now. There were 200 cumulative Worlds games amongst their starters. Now it's going to be whatever that plus 620 is. Yeah, so 220 <laughs> cumulative World games going into the World Finals. It's just they were very calm and collected. Yeah. Um, Looking back at that series, too, um, I specifically went to look and examine a lot of decision points that that were posed in especially the early and mid game uh, to G2, because so many of those games were SKT getting these leads um, and then G2 figuring a way out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there are multiple points. uh, And I was kind of inspired by the Fischio on the analyst desk, we were talking about it. And then also um, Ender was doing a review with the, the fog of war switching. There are actually so many points where mm. G2 have an option. Um, and every single time SKT poses this question, will you defend an objective? Um, it's either a mid tower push, um, a side wave that they're trying to get in, moving over to Dragon. It's some sort of objective that SKT pressure, and they have weak side con over there. Um, And every time there are pings that you can even see in the fog of war from SKT, where they predict that G2 is going to defend whatever objective they're forcing on. And if you watch, you know, LCK, that's usually the reaction of teams there, right? But G2 constantly chooses to go for the kill on the weak side um, when the objective is not deemed, you know, valuable enough. And I think that Mm. it's, it's an insight into how they make a lot of these mid-game choices um, based on on the strategy, going for getting a player off the map. And then they were able to use that 30 seconds of not only getting the gold for the kill, but also the player off the map to completely change the flow of the game. Um, and that, to me, was one of the craziest things. And that's why I was like, this... The shot calling in, in this series was so different mm-hmm. from their shot calling um, in the previous series, right? Yeah. Because they, they just use it to get ahead and shot calling from ahead looks so different. Um, but those little nuances to me were really interesting. And that's why I was like, oh, heading into this finals, FPX have to take that into consideration. Like the way that this, thi- this team thinks of, about the value of those objectives seems to be a bit different. So the way I see that is... Um do you know how often when teams have an advantage, sometimes it can feel like you're being suffocated outright? You know, it's just one advantage after mm-hmm. the next. And a lot of teams kind of wait for this opportunity. To me, it's kind of like a, okay, 
if we use, I don't know, jet bucks, right? And if we say that it's going to cost <laughs> draft you... Bucks, jet bucks? I still draft don't bucks. have no, them with no, me. No, I'm calling them jet bucks now. If we just okay. we take this arbitrary jet bucks, right? Okay, jet bucks. If, um, if we use these jet bucks and we say, okay, we get four jet bucks for killing mm. Drake, then G2's thinking, well, okay, we could try and fight you <laughs> at Drake to try and get the four jet bucks ourselves, or we could go for another play that gets us two jet bucks. Mm. And... I think that this is often their logic when they approach these plays, which is like, okay, we could either risk a play or we could just get something which just, okay, keeps us relatively close, but still we're probably falling behind. But that's fine because as long as we keep relatively close, there will be an opportunity later to be able to make a, a, a comeback play. Um, and I think that that is what makes them so good because their mentality is often we have to it's not we have to stop them it's what else can we get mm -hmm. that is maybe not as good but can still benefit us and for me one of the best examples of that was i think it was in game one when they had a rise and a cled split pushing bot they had skt forced or skt forced baron to try and force teleport out from g2 g2 recognized okay while we do lose Baron, we have enough wave clear with our comp, and we know that they have to play through two lanes, which means that we actually can probably hold out on that Baron and if we take this inhibitor. And it's one of those things like, sure, they get more gold, they now have, they're the ones that get to dictate the next steps and choices, but we get to store more based on the decision that we made. And it's like, this logic and this thinking always keeps them relevant in the game. And that's like a very powerful skill that mm -hmm. is often sometimes like difficult to explain or even see in, in the moment. Yeah. I also just think it's the, it's the product of um, them being on a team with five people who... I, every pro player, like to a certain degree, is going to have to love League of Legends, right? Mm -hmm. At a certain point for some people, maybe it just becomes a job. I'm not sure. But like these guys are all really passionate in a way that keeps pushing them to know and understand more. And for many players, it's like, I'm a support. I'm going to learn everything about support. But like, I talked to Mickey. He knows a lot about mid. He knows a lot <laughs> about top lane. He knows a lot about jungle. And each, each member of this team cares so much about the game that they learn everything about every other role and that they're always pushing each other to learn more. And I think part of, one of the products of that is that they can play at a very fast pace because when someone says, I need X, they instantly know, okay, that means I need to do Y. This yeah. needs and to be And I think DC. actually their AD carry used to play a different lane. So, yeah, which is, yeah, I, that's true. Must not have been very good though, because he didn't win MSI. But yeah, yeah pretty good, pretty solid yeah. at 80 carry. For uh, I have a question for, for the group, and this is something that I wrote about briefly uh, in one of those Instagram posts, but it's the question between forced errors and mistakes. Because what is your read on this series? I think that's a question that a lot of people have. Like, how much of this series was. And it's, it's definitely a mix of both. How much of the series was G2 outplaying SKT and forcing them to make bad decisions versus SKT just making mistakes? Because to me, there was a lot of... This is kind of like League of Legends now, where when you play very fast, you're forcing the opponent into a series of choices. And because you're moving fast, you're not going to do everything perfectly. And because the decisions are so quickly, they're not going to make every decision exactly right. What is your kind of... I don't know, read on the balance between forced errors and mistakes that G2 was putting on SKT as SKT lost? For, for me, there was a lot of both. Um, yeah. Yes, G2 um, does play quickly, and e every player has talked about how much 
pressure they feel they're under when they're playing this team. And it mm -hmm. comes back to what I was talking about earlier, where in those decisions, even from weak sides, they look for the attack choice mm -hmm. or the offensive move rather than going for the defensive play um, and defending objectives and like losing a little bit, which I think adds a, adds a lot to it. If they're, um, and the example that me and Deficio were talking about on the analysis for a long time was SKT had all the advantages. They're pushing mid and uh, bottom side, and they mm -hmm. only have Khan on the weak side. And instead of G2 trying to cut their losses, um, where you would think, oh, they're, they're under pressure on two lanes, they need to defend right now, or SKT will get more in a trade, they go for the offensive play, dive Khan, mm -hmm. get the kill, and then use that offensive pressure to sweep through and then uh, offensively cut off those moves from SKT rather than defensively. Right. Uh, and so those those types of plays do put pressure on teams and, and force all these decisions and you get more forced errors. Yeah. But then you also look at um, uh, all the all the actual like misclicks, right? Um, specifically, of course, everyone's going to point to effort um, on the Leona, mm -hmm. right? And the reason he gets subbed out, like those things are very clear, right? They're, yeah. um, you know, some of Faker's choices were fog of war inspired didn't have complete information those types of things mm -hmm. and you can you can walk through it and be like okay i see why he would go for this play or risk that thing uh, but then there are also just straight up you know whiffs on on plays right Teddy. so i think that it depended on the game game one was a beautiful example of forced errors from g2 right the way in which they generated side lane pressure to force skt into a position where they're like uh, uh, like I think was fantastic. That's, um, um, that's that, their that communication. Should be, that should yeah. be a term. That should be a term that we use in League of Legends. Force them into the uh, state. What are yeah. they saying? The state. <laughs> exactly. Um, but game two, uh, I would highly recommend um, fans listening to this watch the first 15 minutes of the game and see how SKT were gifted six kills because G2, I described it, they ran it down. They made a horrendous number of mistakes. Like, Perks eed into Agragas. Like, literally into melee range of Agragas. Like, it was, there were so many mistakes from G2 where I was like, what is the contrast? <laughs> why why mm has -hmm. this happened between game one and game two? Um, it's uh, the fans cheering. Blame, 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 <laughs> it's always the fans. <laughs> but it's, I think, um, I, I agree that there is a combination of the two. But the final thing that I think adds to all of that is the element of the draft. And the best example I have of that is game four, where mm -hmm. SKT are sieging onto the base of G2. And they're in a situation where they have Baron. They've exposed two inhibitors. But this is not a good place for them to fight because they have a Kiana. Kiana's not built for fighting in open spaces mm -hmm. where she can just get burst out easily. She wants to use walls. She wants to have access to elements. And SKT couldn't leverage. I don't think they played very well around Kiana in general. But like in that situation, they also couldn't leverage the strengths of their comp. So they were in a situation where they had to win a team fight against a composition that was much better in that situation to team fight against SKT. But like, what else is SKT going to do? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I'm one of those situations where you could argue, sure, G2 is forcing SKT into those errors, but at the same time, SKT's life is made a lot harder because of the restrictions that they put on themselves. Yeah, I don't know. I think looking back, Game 4's, Game 4 Fakers, obviously, to me, late game specifically, because he had a pretty solid mid game, is where I think you see the most cracks in the surface in terms of decision making, where like... But that's another thing, because... 
when I was watching that game, I could understand what he was thinking, right? He's like, mm -hmm. these team fights are only going to get harder for us. There's no way, unless G2 makes a huge mistake, that we can win. So he took a gamble. And admittedly, because the gamble failed, it was horrible. But yeah. if he finds that pick and finds that kill... On a perks mid lane, so the one you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think he ever go was going to, but <laughs> if he does... <laughs> Track exhaust timers. <laughs> uh, if he does, then the, the game is completely different. Faker's a god. Faker mm -hmm. won the series for SKT, blah, 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 right? Yeah, but like, and it's, it's one of those things where, like, I can respect and understand the decision-making. The execution was flawed. You can easily criticize him for that. I get it. But I also get, in that situation, someone has to do something. And I have nothing but respect for him for at least trying to make that play. Sure. But to ultimately, when it oh, I was say ultimately when it turns against him, like it still has to be counted as I think a poor decision. One hundred percent. Because Perks has at that point Sterix, he has exhaust, yep. he has Windwall to make sure the only person fighting him is Kiana. Yep. Um, and to me, that it was also like, all right, congratulations, you've taken out the Windwall and the like one four one five Yasuo at that point. Like, the rest of your team is still in that funnel next to G two at this exact moment. And so for for me, it was just like multiple times in the late game. I think. I'm not, I don't want to 100% call it a choke, and this is a good question. I asked this on the Deficio podcast or whatever. Is like, would we call this a choke from SKT? But you did see the cracks in the surface late game where it did feel mm -hmm. like all, it seemed like SKT single people always felt like they had to make a play. A lot of times it was Faker to try to save the game, and it never felt like G2 put themselves in a position where a single person had to make an incredible play. It was always, to me at least, felt like a much more of a uh, team effort. Yeah, I, I think I really like this example of that play because. There are a couple things to go there. When Dracos, you touched on the information gathering before you commit to a play like that, especially in pro play, you have to constantly be pressing tab to and tracking summoner timers, you know, the exhaust, mm -hmm. uh, looking for stopwatches, defensive builds like Sterics. Perks delayed his Infinity Edge, by the way, you know, to go for this more defensive build uh, and to avoid uh, those types of situations. So, like, you also have to give credit to, you know, G2 when they kind of build to deny possible win conditions of the enemy team. And if we have plenty of time during that and we set up, we're like, okay, so SKT have to get a flank with Kiana and Vlad for this perfect team fight, right? If they don't get that, how are they going to win this team fight? And so G2, like up the pace, they keep warding their flanks. Um, they, yep. they save their summoner spells and stuff. And you're like, oh man, it just makes it so hard to get that perfect team fight is something that Jad has touched on before where mm -hmm. ideally you're like, ah, oh, yes, I love late game Kiana Vladimir. You just womp all the whole team yeah. in the back line and get this flank. Um, but if you, if you aren't given that opportunity, then you start to see the, the rushed plays, right? And, mm -hmm. and yeah. Faker's like, ah, gotta make something happen now. I can feel it slipping away. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Everyone agrees. They're all silent. We're, 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 yeah. we're set. <laughs> so, so then that's follow up. The follow up is, do you feel like, we witnessed peak SKT versus peak G2. Was this uh, a choke from SKT? Where do you think this, how do you think this compares to like other performances, best of five performances that you've seen from this team? I don't like, think we saw peak SKT or peak G2, but I think we did see an extremely close series. Uh, this is eventually a question that I wanted to ask Avedia since he did spend like literally yesterday, seven hours going over the exact series. I'm going to ask him like, hey, SKT had advantages in every early game. What did G2 do wrong that allowed that to happen uh, would, would eventually be a question that you can kind of start thinking about. But for me, uh, I think a peak SKT doesn't have the miscommunications in the mid-game teamfights. Like a Game 3 instance when Faker channels a Realm Warp into the turret 
that makes effort engage and then faker does zero damage in the fight running it back and forth in the river as like teddy nearly hard carries the fight so there were definitely mistakes in communication that skt made there were definitely great team coordination moments that g2 made and really amazing knowledge of how their team composition interacted those are some strengths but a peak g2 isn't eing into a gragas in the jungle right as ezreal to fall behind so i would almost say it was like a I don't know, 80% G2 versus an 80% SKT. I think they both played well, but they were there were there were small things to improve on for both teams. So the the thing that fans <laughs> keep telling me is of course SKT got ahead early. They drafted early game comps. I hate that. That really annoys me because um, especially in game two, they did not have a super strong early game comp. They had LeBlanc Lee which was where they could gain pressure, but they also had Yasuo Gragas bot lane. And where they got their early leads was ultimately just punishing the mistakes from G2. And the early game from G2 in all four games was not good. Even the one when uh, game three with the Elise, when Yankos, to his credit, had the best early game of the series. He then also made a play with Mickey where they dive onto Faker in mid lane and they don't respect that everyone is missing on the map. So what mm -hmm. happens? They dive onto Faker with no flash. Four, three other members come out of the, the fog of war, kill them. They convert that into mid tower. They convert that into bot tower. They convert that into Drake. And then immediately G2 is now on the back foot because they realize, oh crap, we've just given away the early game lead that we actually managed to save after our top laner died 1v1. So like, um, I agree that G2's uh, did not play at peak. However, I do think that like, I think, and I'm gonna, I will die on the sword. I think the SKT's drafting made it harder for them. If the drafts were swapped, SKT could have very well smashed G2 if the early games played out the same. Because I think that with the comps that they have, and like, I will use game two as an example, because they had bad Siege with Yasuo and LeBlanc, and they had bad Baron. They even got double mountain, yet they could never start the Baron because of how super easy it was for G2 to walk up, throw an Orn ult down and be like, well, okay, we have Jarvan, Galio, Orn. We're just going to dive you in the Baron pit. Like they couldn't start it. So SKT got a Baron by, <laughs> they saw that G2 took Drake and they caught Mickey backing on a ward. And in that very brief window, they rushed Baron. And the only reason why they could do it was because they got double mountain as well. And that's how they got Baron. Like these small decisions that they were making in very brief windows where they recognized the limitations of their comp were how they were able to take advantage. But like, I think that they made the series harder for themselves. But at the same time, like you could question like, does SKT then have champion pool issues? What were their priorities in the draft? Clearly they were the wrong priorities. And like, um, I agree that there were execution errors from, uh, um, SKT. I think that obviously if you swap the comps, things a lot of things change, but uh, I do think that the drafting made it harder, which forced them into situations where they had to take gambles, they yeah. had to take risks, which meant that they were going to look worse. Um, so, Kobe, what are, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I like, I really like looking at that situation that you started out with, um, the dive on Faker mid, uh, where SKT are there and able to collapse, because this is an interesting point that comes up so much with G2. Let me pose this uh, theoretical counter to you. Um, in this instance, 
oftentimes the players talk about taking chances of 30% chance that their enemy jungler is here for a counter gank or their team is close enough to collapse. In which case, this scenario happens. We fall behind. There is, just for this example, 70% chance that we have calculated, and maybe they miscalculate, <laughs> and, and there's a, a worse chance, but 70% chance that they are on Krugs right now and we're able to successfully dive uh, Faker. We deny him the the wave in mid lane. Then we've got this PowerPoint. We open up so Caps can start roaming around. I feel like with G2, they, they make these choices. And if we're going to praise them for, oh my goodness, this high pressure style, this very risk, willingness to take risks, um, we, we have to praise them when it succeeds, but also recognize that it's that same choice when it comes out tails for them or when they miscalculate. And then you get into your point where you're debating, all right, was that a correct calculation? Maybe it wasn't 70-30. Maybe it was actually much worse in their favor. And that's when we get down to the nitty gritty of how well you gather the information and extrapolate that to predict where, where or how close they are for these plays. And we keep praising them for how quickly they do this. I feel like that is one mm. of the main things with this team. And there's kind of two sides to the coin. So apologies if this goes too far back, but that just made me think about who have been the greatest teams in League of Legends in the last year and a half, maybe even the last two years, because we said so many bad things about IG before they won the world title in 2018. We're like, they take too many risks. They don't play as a team. Also, they 3-0'd the semifinals and the finals. So they're doing something exceptionally well. Um, in the same way that G2 makes a few mistakes early game, I think G2 is a, a smarter team than IG. But just, I think it constantly makes us challenge our understanding of how League of Legends works. Because I think it is really difficult to fully grasp how much darker the game is now than it was five years ago. And oftentimes when we're comparing great teams in League of Legends history, we're thinking of 2014 Samsung White or 2015 SKT when you could actually just have way more knowledge and you could actually just make more exact calculations. Whereas now there is that element of needing to play with nameplates on because you have to guess based on a team's tendencies and make a read. And I think another great example of that from the series was the Fog of War toggle that Ender did during his VOD review um, that was on Reddit briefly. But basically it was SKT starting a Mountain Drake without like full mid priority and G2 doing like a fake engage. And then they just disappear for 10 seconds. And there's no way of SKT knowing if G2 is in the brush in the river or if they're top lane where they ended up going for a kill. And that's, that's actually just a read you have to make. If they make it correctly and they just rush down Baron until kind of back off, we could praise them as geniuses. But it actually is just a guess. For, for that play, I just thought it was also funny that that's the one that made it to Reddit because there were a bunch of these Fog of War yeah. plays. But on the analyst desk when that was happening, me and Deficio were instantly flaming Khan for trying to chase all the way to the Tier 2 when he started it. Yeah. And we're like, what are you doing? And then he doesn't <laughs> even flash to get the kill. So like, I, that clip is much longer. And yeah. And I just feel like that is a really funny example because there are so many of them. Yeah. But anyway, that's just I don't think we necessarily need an answer to that. But I, I do want to like the previous idea of what peak or perfect League of Legends looks like almost isn't even applicable to the game today. 
right? Would you so kind of yes. agree with that? Mm. There, there are definitely like, okay, a lot so of elements. My, my, there are definitely a lot of elements that are the same, for sure. Like my, you my still problem need to make is groups. like people, people get too like bought into this idea that like good League of Legends refers to perfect League of Legends, and what I define as good League of Legends is making educated decisions. And right? that can actually it, be perfect League of Legends. It just doesn't always mean that the outcome is correct. You can be playing perfectly and still have the outcome be bad some of the time. Uh, no, because that goes against what the word perfect means. <laughs> well, eh. So that's, that's why I, I wanted to hone in on how nuanced analysis is now getting because we are getting to the point where we have to start ca making these calculations as well as the players, right? And, and we're like, ah, oh, was it actually a 45-55 play? Or given that they saw him 30 seconds ago over here they should know that with tier two boots he should be able to get this far to get in place for this play I mean, and like the more accurately you're able to project these these things uh, is you're going to find more and more success over time so what i would say is like and this ties back to my original quote right which is that i think that skt ultimately played a higher quality level of league for more of that series than G2 did. And that's because a lot of their decisions were well-informed and they recognized what they should and should not be doing. And if you confine yourself to the rules of the game, and which is the sense of, by us doing this, the expectation is that you mm -hmm. will do this, right? Which at pro level, and if everyone's trying to copy Korea, obviously Korea's always gonna be better at because they've been doing it for longer. And the thing I think G2 does, which I think both of you have alluded to, is they take advantage of the, um, the use of, or the lack of information that is available to you. They take advantage of your assumptions and they uh, find creative ways to go against those assumptions, to catch you off guard. And like <laughs> the best example that I like to use is that one that we mentioned earlier, which is where um, Mickey and Perks find that pick onto Faker when they're moving towards Baron, because like that is a great example of utilizing, you assume that we're basing because we only have four people versus your five. The most logical thing for us to do is back off, maybe try and steal the Baron. But they're like, well, screw that. We don't need to do that. We're gonna catch you in the setup. We're gonna catch you before you even have an opportunity. And it's this creative thinking that I respect a lot of from G2, but at the same time, like, yes, I agree with Kobe in that if we're going to give them credit for these like creative decisions, they also just make really bad decisions. There was game four, like they had prior mid, Baron was there for the taking and Caps walks up to Marta, stuns him with his E and he's like, we're going in, we're diving, we're diving. And they just kill themselves. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> so like, on the one hand, yeah. I'm like, sure, let's give credit to G2 for their creativity. Sometimes they just run it down. Yeah. And like, I think you just, they're part, they're part and parcel and this team, they have incredibly high highs. And like, I think some of the things they do make them the best team in the world. But at the same time, let's not excuse all of their decisions because some of them are just yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but I think as, as, a, as a greater philosophical point, it does just further illustrate the idea that like analysis is going to become harder as you have to take in more and more things and it becomes I less I think we also less. need better definitions for things like... Like what even is good League of Legends? That's well, one of the yeah. questions that's, I keep but getting But that's what Kobe's point is, right? Is that you have to take into account, like, right, like when a play looks super int, right, for whatever reason, or super great, you have to take into account, okay, like, was this actually the right decision sure. in the moment? Obviously, it turned out well. Or if it was the Leona Elise, mm -hmm. like running in mid lane, trying desperately to kill Faker with being able to separate the decision from the result is something yes. that is hard. 
And I think that we have seen um, proven here by both teams that are in the finals have made it this far um, are playing very fluid and mobile League of Legends mm -hmm. because if over time um, you ha you go with the 60% and you take a lot of these roaming plays and, and, and riskier plays, you will have more positive outcomes. Um, mm -hmm. And it go. There are multiple factors, right? You know, the change uh, to do with vision, and the change to do with all the champions, and the pace of the game, mm -hmm. and and I like a lot of these changes that have gone into it, that have you know actually kind of designed the game to be more entertaining to watch and to have risk and reward and yeah. variability. Um, I also uh, just to tack on a small point there, you do need to have a slider for as the game goes on. Uh, for the willingness to run it down type plays, because if you get to the end of the game and you're down 10,000 gold, you know, we'll applaud you for being like, oh, they yeah. all five, they knew they had no option. They all just jumped into this so, team yeah, phase yeah. first. Yeah. And, well done. I, <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait to die. You know, straight it's to Valhalla also, with you. You had you yeah. know, almost no other chance. Perfect play. <laughs> I, it's perfect play. Yeah, yeah well done. Yeah, yeah. Just, they get aced or whatever. I agree. I agree. My, yeah, yeah. my favorite example of that is like when Azir's in the meta and you see on like one item, Azir does the Azir sec, you're like, that's brilliant. Late game team fight, he's the only carry. He tries to do the Azir sec. You're like, no, that's not your job anymore. No, no, you stay back. It's appealing to him now. Please, for the love of God, just hit with the soldiers. Yeah, it's uh, maybe we can add that as a feature on a broadcast. We the can slider. update the, we'll call it the, the Kobe slider. Yeah. <laughs> what we'll should your risk tolerance back. be in this moment? It's full, <laughs> full int on this side, just smurf on this side. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Um, Never mind. Keep going. Well, in terms of closing thoughts, because I recognize we talked a lot about this series, yeah. um, I still think it was a great series, and it was very tense because, like, I think you got to see some of that. Like, what I loved about it was you kind of got to see the classic LCK of very strategic, very like clever way of thinking, and you got to see the European creativity and the individual playmaking prowess that they can make. And as Jack mentioned, like, the team fighting, and like my final shout out will be Mickey X. He was robbed of MVP at MSA Finals. He didn't get the MVP in this series. And, like, uh, to be fair, after the series, I couldn't call who one. Got, but after watching the, the pods, I actually. Yankos did. Yankos okay. did. Um, but, like, Mickey was so good this series. He was genuinely so impressive. And I have nothing but respect for how well he played in that series. Um, and I'm really excited to see him play. Especially in the after he ran down versus Downward. Yeah. Tense this series was. A tense yeah. stat? A, t a tenseness stat. Jet so, tensile strength? <laughs> so for one, uh, there's only one other time a team won a series with one Baron in a BOX series at MSI and Worlds. Um, it was actually last year's final IG vs. Fnatic, so incredibly rare. And that was mainly, I feel like, because it was like really one-sided rather than back and yep. forth. <laughs> yes, it um, was. <laughs> but this one was the percentage of the game where you have what we define as a major lead, which is 51.5% or more of the teams of the game's total gold. Hopefully I said that and people aren't confused. 51.5% yep, of the game's total gold is what's considered a major lead. G2 had that for 2.3% of time in the whole series. Yep. And they won 3-1. And even going through some of the other like closest examples, it's like 18% of the time, 20% of the time, 15 25, like the lowest one ever before this for 2.3% of a winning series was uh, when actually RNG beat Fnatic at 2018 MSI. They only had a major lead for 13.2% of the game. And that was when they were just picking hyperscaling comps over and over again and just staying even until they won. And that was still 
way more of a major league. Just hopefully that made sense. This was the least amount of gold I've ever felt like the winning team ended up having. And it just goes to speak of how G2 won the game like through pressure and clutch team fights. And the reason the team fights were clutch is because they were actually usually losing in gold, which was incredible. Yeah, it's 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 stunning. Uh, and honestly, just like a fantastic series. The, the last thing that I want to hit on before we talk about um, FPX versus IG and then eventually the finals is like, what now for the LCK? There's a lot of doomsayers out there. Like the LCK is doomed. It's mm, awful doomsayer. now. China. That's a board clear. It sorry, is. Sorry. It is. <laughs> it's 07, two mana crystals, Kobe, and it's killed all of the LCK. Just, just, just like that. Or not. Like, that's what I'm curious about. It, takes, like how, it takes one year for a Doomsayer to go off, you know, one turn. Which is, it's so. been the year. Yeah, the year yeah. was last year. It's clearly yeah. started, and now okay, it's Okay, so I guess, so my question is, do we consider the fact that the LCK has not won anything in two years a failure? Because obviously they have been dominant for so long, just because they're not winning, is that what we define as failure? Well, or like because like if if we look at it from a European lens, they had one team in the semifinal, two teams in the quarterfinal, LCK performed just as well as um, Europe did, and yeah. But I mean, so it's like, all it's it's relative, and that's kind of why I asked this question, right? Is because Korea used to win. Everything, Chad. If you can remember Korea, Korea, China, they whatever. They did if you used to win most time. of the things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they did win just about. Everything. It was actually mostly considered a fluke when they won. When they did when they win, didn't win, it was yeah, yeah. Um, and now it's 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 kind of a matter of shifting expectations. So is this horrendous disappointment now for the LCK? Is this the LCK isn't uh, a top two region anymore? Is this the LCK is you know the lowest on on the top 3 between LEC, LCK and LPL like what is what do people actually think their the takeaways are here for the regions uh for me last year was the failure and and for me last year was mm. a very real failure of the LCK um and it caused the entire region to have this paradigm shift of how they think about League of Legends. This year, I would not consider a failure. I think last year is your doomsayer year. Last year was the board clear. Uh, this year, they rebuilt. You know, They have all these younger teams coming up. Uh, I think Don Juan mm -hmm. are incredibly promising. Griffin are also young, but very different from them um, and also have their own valid strengths. And then uh, you have the the king returning, uh, basically reforming with different pieces, yet still keeping some of the old um, and the most important ones, you know, with, you know, Faker and stuff like that. So I would not consider this year a failure for LCK. This was their rebuilding and I would even say successful year. Mm. Um, yet this competition is just so much more fierce now with LPL and LEC also improving by bounds and leaps. Yeah, I think... It's hard to say, like, it's, it's hard to definitively say, like, yeah, LCK had a great year as they don't have a team in finals and SKT fell. But in a lot of ways, if we remove the LCK title, right, and we remove what's happened this year and we just think, hey, this is what happens to a region. Do you consider this a good year? All three of their teams finish first in their group. They go 16 and three in the group stage, right? Two of their, or, and then... Then it becomes disappointing because two teams lose in the quarterfinals and one team loses in the semifinal. But if G2 ends up winning, both Dom Juan and SKT will have fallen to the world champion, um, which in retrospect won't feel as bad. So I agree with Kobe in the sense that 
career refreshed this year. And unlike, I'd say, past Korean teams who would be like shaky-ish in the group stage and then really turn it on in best of fives, we saw the reverse because we had Griffin, who's never been good in best of fives. We had Damwon, who was a challenger to world's team. And we had SKT, who was faker, and his new friends. So there was a very low level experience of experience from the LCK teams this year, which when I was projecting LCK to win worlds with SKT, I think I underestimated how much that inexperience would hurt them and how much being inflexible and best of fives partially due to having newer players or lack of experience would hurt them. And I think G2 due to flexibility and experience was able to take down these other teams. Um, So overall, like where does this leave Korea? I'm very interested to see what happens next year because I think their improvement from 2018 to 2019 was large. And because they lost, it doesn't mean they will stop improving. So we'll see. We'll see next year. I don't. I think the, the statement of, oh, yeah, the LCK will win because they've always won, I can never – I can't say that next year. That's, that's a dead argument. <laughs> um, but based on if they keep improving, they can still be a force to be reckoned with in the future. That's my take. Yeah, I think that's solid. I think I think perspective is always tough, right? Because if you're a longtime League of Legends fan, it's hard to settle for anything. Or if you're a longtime LCK fan, it's hard to settle for anything less than a world championship. But in the context of the catastrophic They're failure spoiled, of last those year, those LCK fans. This, <laughs> by the NA way, perspective. <laughs> this, by the way, I think globally is one of the best things that could have happened to League, <laughs> right? I was getting pretty downtrodden when SKT was winning there, like, oh, what are we going to talk about this okay. time? Well, SKT yeah, pretty like- much always wins, and then it happens. <laughs> sure, it's good for the SKT fans, but the level of uncertainty that we carried into this World Championship has made things thrilling. And I think next year it will be equally so because I don't expect them to get worse. But I also know how much better the LEC and the LPL have become. It's it's funny to think about because we're we're so old now basically <laughs> with how long we remember the SKT and Korean dominance. New League of Legends esports fans coming up now and yeah. just tuning in are like, what the hell yeah. are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but it, to to your point, I even was just when Samsung won instead of SKT, I was like, wow, wow. SKT <laughs> didn't win again. Oh. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, I, nothing against Faker or Como or SKT, but it's it's nice to have other teams win for the sake of competition. Also nice to have other regions win, too, and not just Samsung or SKT. The only thing I will say is that I think the LCK baseline fundamental level is higher on average than most of the regions i just think that as a region they're smarter but as we saw against g2 you could argue that that perspective on the game is what hurts smarter or trained better no i think they're just smarter about the game like on average as in like they know how to use pressure well they know how to like move around the map better to me that's to me that's trained better their fundamentals are trained better but in those clutch moments when people are making crazy off the book decisions are they really adapting on the fly yeah but to I mean, me like, that your, to me that's your comparison is against like g2 so if you if you assume that g2 is the peak no they're not as good as g2 but i would still say that like they still have players like deft and like faker and showmaker like they still have like a lot of really like me and uh, all, Jet, uh, had like we had a, a ridiculous number of lck players on our list for a reason so, <laughs> so how about um, that lpl though yeah I mean, this is the thing, right? like, we're getting there. i think like what's fascinating and like what's fascinating is that 
Each region has its own way of playing the game. I still think LCK is slower on average. You have the LPL that fights a lot, and you have the LEC, which is like a combination of the two while not quite being as good as either one. Now, obviously, G2 has been able to perfect, you could argue, maybe. Um, but we'll the rest of the league still has a lot of catching up to do because I think it's fair to say that G2, pretty big, or maybe Fnatic, maybe. And then a pretty big gap afterwards. No, yeah. that's not maybe. So uh, that, not we, not we I'm sorry, that's not a so maybe. So this is the last it's, thing it's I'll G2. say uh, about, about G2 because I really do want to move on to FPX versus IG. But just go back and look at G2 Summer Split where they weren't even trying. And they probably dominated more than maybe any team has dominated any region ever, right? Like, yes, they lost three games, but I think their average game time was like 26 and a half minutes like, yep. so fast. That Accurate. It was, they completely styled to a level that no one, I think, has styled on a region before. And we've had undefeated teams. We've had 17 and one teams. Maybe we, Have we had an actual true undefeated team? Uh, wasn't yeah, it? Immortals was. They were like they're always one on one. Were yeah. they one Fnatic, Immortals sorry, Fnatic was an undefeated team. Yeah. I'm trolling. H yeah. The Hooney yeah, Fnatic, yeah. right? Hooney Fnatic was completely undefeated. But I would say, Immortals, like, yeah. just off of raw stats, not looking at win losses, that the G2 summer split was actually better. G2's this like transcendent team this year in terms of how dominant they were in their region and, and their run so far at Worlds. It's all because of the casters, e by the way. Easy transition. You know the only other team that you could argue <laughs> is just as dominant? FPX! Fun <laughs> plus Phoenix! They only lost a single series during the regular season. They were on track to being the most dominant team. I think Frost was telling me it was OMG back in 2014 or something that how currently holds the record. The highest like, percentage. Something yeah. like that. But... Um, that team, I think, to a Western audience, surprised many. To us analysts, I would like to say that we're not surprised because we definitely had FPX as one of our favorites for the tournament. All of right? us had and FPX in our top three. Yes. Did you? So, do you have them as one, or do you have G two? I had them one. Okay, there we go. I mean, that's. I mean, they could still be one. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong so yet, Kobe. The, <laughs> only, the only reason it's like ah, I had them one was. Uh, the group stage performance because I was my main worry for the team. Uh, no, like they dominated so much. And I went back, you know, VOD reviewing, getting ready for, for, for worlds. You're just watching them smash hard every game too. Yep. And you're like, Oh my God, this team is going to come out on fire. Wait a second though. They are all going to be freshmen on the world <laughs> stage. Yeah. And for some yeah. reason, I feel like most fans and most people in general, like Western fans, um, when there is a Western team that has all new players to a, a big high pressure world stage, they're like, oh, but be careful. You know, they might crack under pressure. But for some reason, be for for Eastern teams, they're not really afforded that same kind of caveat when they it's get true. here. Yeah. And maybe it is also due to FPX dominating so hard in the LPL. That gives you more confidence. It could also be that people just aren't aware. Like, if it's the first time you see Tian, do you know that this is his first Worlds, for example? You know? Exactly. So, And so that was my one thing I was worried for. And then when in group stage um, versus what was... Uh, basically the easiest group, um, you, you saw them struggle in all these ways. Um, and you see things like just big individual mistakes and you're ulting into the team as the only damage source and all these, these things. You're like, oh, well, maybe that is going to be a bit more of an issue than we uh, <laughs> in the beginning. But to see them kind of grow over yeah. the so tournament also. This world final is going to catch either Europe or China really off guard <laughs> because I feel like uh, 
G2 <laughs> and even our broadcast has been very focused. Even even this podcast has been like 50 minutes of what has G2 done. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. I think the same thing's happening for FPX yeah. in the LPL. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, that G2 team, they were like semifinals last year. And they have like this weird mid lane uh, bot lane swap. And they've had some like that are really close series against SKT. Like, thank God they got rid of those guys. Now we're going to yeah. smash worlds. <laughs> I think that's yeah. actually the opinion of a yes. ton of LPL fans who, by the way, outnumber the LEC fans like astronomically. <laughs> oh, so, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way more fans. So uh, I'm going to spend most of my time this week really diving in to all of FPX because I, I, I do, I, I will be predicting G2 for the final. Um, I'm, they, they beat SKT. I said it on this or that, they beat uh, but I do not think I have this feeling in the back of my head. Like what if FPX just like dominates them? I think I, that's I, the possibility. I really think it could happen. Dude. It could. Like, and this is just to go back. If you're wondering why there's skepticism, if you're a diehard G2 fan, that same thing when we talked about, Hey, they flipped the coin real good. They still flip the coin folks. You can never a hundred percent believe. Like, so the, the biggest thing, the biggest, biggest, biggest thing for me, if you just want to use recent performance, everyone agreed that FPX in the first 15 to 20 minutes was their strongest aspect of their game versus IG. Mm. After that, it kind of devolved into team fighting, right? <laughs> but if you just focus on the first 50 to 20 minutes, it is just excellent play. From Chris, Tian, that duo, so good, extremely good. The exact opposite for G2, because they're zero to 15 to 20 minutes, god awful, right? And I will give them like benefit of the doubt for game three, but like one and two, especially, they were really bad for G2. So if you just compare early games, you're already giving FPX an advantage. And if you then assume, if you then assume that FPX are drafting to team fight, you're then putting the question on, okay, if both teams are drafting to team fight, do you still give the same team fighting prowess towards the side of G2 against not only a team that was built and thrives in a region that is Designed to team fight. Designed. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, like you start asking these questions and then your faith starts to get, you know, challenged a little bit more. Chipped away at. Yeah. And the only thing I have going for me as a G2 fan is like, well, okay, like if you look at their down one, their early game was fantastic. So like they change based on who they play against and like they'll adapt and they put different focus on different things. Um, and as we all know, Doin be terrible laner. It's really funny to me because um, casting that series uh, for FPX after they won, I was legitimately super excited. And I tweeted out, oh, you know, congratulate the normal like congratulations tweet to mm -hmm. FPX. I'm super excited to see this intelligent team in the finals. And all of the replies were people thinking that I was sarcastic. And I and I was like, how did how did you yeah. miss the beginning and setups for for these games? Because yes, there was a lot of <laughs> chaos even <laughs> later yeah. on. So, yeah. to, from my perspective, a lot yeah. of it was caused by IG because they were putting yes, these situations where, where they needed to go for that, and because they were more uncoordinated. But I I have just I really of course you know I always have bias for junglers, and I focus on that very quickly for teams. But mm -hmm. I have I have just been. I've thought that Tian has been an amazing jungler for, for this entire time, and especially back in the LPL. And like I was talking about earlier, both of these teams heading to uh, face off in the finals embrace a very fluid style of League of Legends. 
And to me, that is not really a surprise that they have both found success in this way. Uh, you know, some of the big step up players for this team, not just Tian, but also Crisp and involving Doombi in this style of league where he's trying to win the entire map with these coordinated plays that start from level one invades, by the way. The, the beauty mm -hmm. of it was... Yeah. FBX setting up all these level one invades, then Tian using that for counter jungling and transitioning it to splitting the map for this lane matchup and then using that lane matchup later to go down to the other side of the map. And we, and we were just like, oh my God, these first like 15 minutes from this team are so cool to watch how they've orchestrated it that I, I really feel like maybe people don't think they're as scary as they should think mm. FBX yeah. are heading to this final. Yeah, I mean... Sorry, I'm gonna. I, I had something at the start, and I'm gonna go back even farther. Uh, the FPX team, LPL, won MSI and Worlds last year. The whole region was looking very strong, right? They dominated both splits of the regular season, and they then ran through to finals. Like they do come from a strong region and were an exceptional team. And on top of that, uh, this is what I'm really curious about: is how do you prepare? to play against FPX. How do you practice against Mid Nautilus? How do you practice against Predator Rumble? And how do you practice against like that type of team fighting? So uh, this is one of G2's edges, I feel like, is when, when you're trying to practice against G2, you're not going to replicate that experience. You're never going to be able to scrim like the same champions that G2 is going to bring out in a lot of games, flex picks, the way they move around the map. I think the similar thing can be said about trying to figure out like how to beat FPX. You can theory craft how to deal with it and you can watch it, but they play like no other team, mainly because Doonby's champion pool and the things that that then does to the game. I just think it's, it's really interesting. So it wasn't, um, so I wasn't part of the semifinals and finals last year, but I remember watching as a fan and thinking that there's no way Fnatic lose to Invictus Gaming, right? I had that sentiment going mm -hmm. into the final last year. Um, and I was like, well, G2 were bound to get 3-0 eventually. You know, like it was going to happen, mm -hmm. that roster. Honestly, it was a bit, I was like, oh, it was a bit lucky. Like, yes, they had a really good series versus RNG, but the meta didn't suit RNG, like blah, blah, blah. And I thought, wow, Fnatic looking really clean. Like they had a good series versus EDG. They looked good versus Cloud9. And then they got absolutely smashed by G. And I'm really terrified that the same thing's going to happen. <laughs> okay, well, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's revision this history what happened last year. Um... Because I think one of the things that Fnatic was using to at least, let's say, beat Cloud9 is Whippo and Caps were just outclassing other soul laners, right? Whether That's it was true, Champion yeah. Pool or Counterpicks. And that was infused by Broxa having the best tournament of his career, right? He was yep. an amazing jungler last year. And a lot of people who were going into that Fnatic IG series, and I noticed this specifically on like Reddit or Twitter, this isn't a call to anyone in particular, they were all saying, hey, you know, you got to respect both teams. This will be really close, but I'm going to give this to Fnatic 55-45. But when that happens 15 times and you see 15 <laughs> Fnatic predictions and like one IG, you're like, man, Fnatic's got a really good chance here. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it's fair, yeah. And then I think what ended up happening was the Shy and Rookie just hard outclassed the Fnatic soul laners. And, and that's what that world was about. Ning had such a good performance. And Ning, he did, yeah. yeah and was people, people yeah. weren't confident in predicting... All of, all of those plays to actually work out, right? So 
when we're watching yeah. Ning, you're you're super used to okay, yeah, he's got these badass plays and like he can pop off. He can't. He's not going to do that over a best of five. You think that there are going to be some failures there, but they made the it a best of three, or I mean, they made it three <laughs> games very yeah. quickly, and there was there wasn't that moment of oh, you know, there's there's the big mistake that comes through, right? And and for junglers, when when you your plays just keep chaining together and working successfully like that. Like it snowballs so quickly and he, mm -hmm. he looked amazing. And obviously that's why it resulted in him getting uh, MVP. Yeah. And I think uh, if last year's worlds was like quote defined by solo lane excellence, this year's worlds, can I say it would be defined by fluidity of play? I keep using that word. I'm trying to make yeah. it stick. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm it's, yeah. it's about <laughs> seeing what happened and in half a second, uniting your team around the next move and how quickly you can do that um, is what's defining a lot of these games because it's not about 1v1 solo kills. It's about, hey, the gank worked. The top lane set up a freeze. Your top laner's not farming. How do you get out of this situation, right? Make a quick decision. Do it right. And that's what FPX has been extremely good at and that's what G2 has been extremely good at. So this could be, an, it could be another situation where when I say G2, I'm thinking 60-40. Right, I'm thinking slight favorites, and I think that's what most people are thinking. I think there's going to be a range of it, which is why I think it could it could definitely turn either way. Also, I, go ahead, uh, Dracos. Oh, I was I was just gonna say I think yeah I think that the, what's insane to me is that the way that these two teams play that they are both in the final with this incredibly fluid play style and that that like how quickly the game was just changed. I'm not going to say completely because at the core, at the core, it's still mostly the same game, right? There weren't like the significant changes in preseason that really altered the game in, in a really, really big way. But the fact that we've ended up with two teams that play like this from two different regions, two different backgrounds, is just incredible to me. And also, I hate teams like this because it always feels freaking impossible to give them a hundred percent of the benefit of the doubt because that mm -hmm. fluidity always feels. While it is obviously erring in these guys' favor, and that's why they're able to consistently find wins, it never feels as clean, as easy to understand as a spectator as the SKT era of dominance. Or even last year when it was like, these guys are smashing in a solo lane, GG, it's it's done. Yeah, and to go back in the conversation a little bit, Kobe, when you were talking about, hey, FPX is a smart team, why did people think I was trolling? Uh, I, I skimmed through the VODs of the four games this morning because I knew that we needed, like... Everyone, Vettius did a seven-hour VOD review of G2. It's like, well, we need a lot of FPX content as well. Um, the number of laughs in that series from, like, you and Deficio because of how ridiculous the game goes, like, that's where the impression comes from. Those games were goofy. Like, there was moments where there were, you know, one by one, they came following into the Baron pit at it, 10 health. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. It, and it, it developed into that. Yeah. And and I think that's where a lot of the the laughing came from because you're you're like, am I watching, like two different things are going they amazing <laughs> or yeah. terrible yeah because like the beginning we're like oh what a great setup step now if he does this then they can continue to move the pressure here or whatever we're like oh he did it and and then you have those moments yeah like so there were certain so, things oh, you can go first oh. no 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 you please finish your punch up finish yeah there were point. certain things about the series that when i watched it i had takeaways some of my takeaways were man ig nearly made come from behind team fights in games two and four and game four was lost because the shy threw and i had this impression of this very close series when i rewatched it this morning my impression changed a bit that fpx was in control 
I say that with quotation marks because the game was very chaotic, but they were more in control than I remembered of all four games. So would you say, Jat, that they were playing better League of Legends for a greater period of time than Invictus Gaming? I would say FPX would do that. <laughs> yeah, they, they were, in fact, the better team. <laughs> um, but uh, I also like the final throw by the Shy where he got hit by a Gragas ultimate and didn't flash and didn't ult. IG was actually down four and a half thousand gold at that point. So uh, Varus um, at the end? You're talking about the very last one? The, no, the very last one where the Shy was in the base and got, yeah, Varus ulted, then Gragas ultimated. Um, you're correct about that. But yeah, overall, the the early game pressure created through mid by Doinbi and Tian was really, really high. And it was IG's incredible team fighting that did kind of keep them in the games. And like a few real mistakes by FPX that cost them these leads. Uh, Anyway, I, don't, I guess I don't have a way of closing that point. I had different takeaways watching it now than I did in the emotion of the moment because IG made those games so crazy. Uh, for me, uh, one of the things I think FPX really have to think about going into the final is their drafting. And what I mean by that is a, a great point that Frost brought up coming into the tournament. And one of the big concerns she had was that they do not play the traditional meta champions. So Silas Akali were actually two champions that they didn't play at all. And mm -hmm. coming into Worlds, I mean, obviously they were both nerfed, but Akali still a very strong champion. One of the questions she was asking me was, how do they play the game if they can't play Silas and Akali? Like, those two were 100% presence at MSI. If you can't mm -hmm. play those champions, there's no way that you win. Um, and the reality is they have certain picks and they default and they're in many ways predictable. Like, oh, top lane didn't get Gangplank. He's probably going to play Mordekaiser. Oh, bot lane didn't get Nautilus. I, he's probably going to play Alistair. Like, oh, jungle didn't get Lee Sin, probably going to go Elise. And like, you can see how this team, while they are very good at the champions that they do play, and they do a great job of creating flexibility in their mid lane, they're also a little bit predictable. And they might be a little bit gated in their drafting. And so I'm curious as to how that evolves. And it's something I want to think about more because yeah. it's one of the things that I think G2 could have an edge over FPX in with regards to the final. So I had been uh, looking at that heading into this as well. Um, and I came up with two, two first, first things that just came to mind. Um, first is one that you did touch on, uh, top lane for FPX. Um, that is the one where in their last series versus Invictus Gaming, obviously Gim Goon even had his own interview about, my job is going to be hard. Uh, the shy <laughs> is a massive carry. I need to hold on for my team to win. I think he performed very well, but mm -hmm. especially champion pool, I, I have not really been convinced by his top Camille. Um, and that, that seemed like a pick that he was mm. kind of pushed to and didn't feel as comfortable on as the other ones that you're mentioning. Um, they, I, I think that they have gotten to a place where he might feel okay, but it's definitely something that can be targeted. I also had a dangling one for G2 though, because I, ha I mean, everyone has so much confidence in all of these players playing everything yep. anywhere. And Did I start with Q. It does. And I, I still <laughs> I still have confidence in Caps Kiana because in regular season, he played it against Rogue and Splice. Yep. You know, de very well, decently. Um, however, 
um, because of Yanko's last two games, even though they won versus Glad Nine, um, that was the one where he's the team literally in their voice comes is like, Yanko's, you're inting a little hard now. Can you slow it down so we can carry you? Um, Tian's Kiana was in, was just incredibly effective. And so we saw it at the very end of the series where SKT realized, oh, let's not ban Kiana versus G2. Their priority has probably dropped. Caps hasn't played it in a while, and Yankos probably isn't confident on it after not only not performing on it two games, but getting flamed by the community. That can also have an effect, even if, you know, in scrims or whatever, they're fine on it, they're good on it. Mm -hmm. So I thought that with that, uh, and SKT almost winning and pushing to game five, I was like, oh my God, this is going to completely change the draft game. They're not going to, they're never going to have to ban Keanu or whatever. And then, you know, G2 ends up beating them and, and they win anyway. <laughs> but that question might still be dangling versus FPX, mm. especially considering how well FPX use teamfight ultimates like that. So, I, yeah, I for the think record, we've go for it. Oh, just real quick for the record, we've had a graphic full of terrible Yankos Kiana stats waiting for him to pick it since quarterfinals. <laughs> every time I go to stat team, I'm like, get that Yankos graphic ready one more time just in case this series he picks it. That thing, I would I would be scared of it in the hands of Caps though. Like if they get draft that way, mm. then I would still be like, "Oh, FPX, you can not ban it first round maybe, but you still have to consider that option." Yeah, uh, as if, I can see Caps snowballing with it. Except he's going to be picking into like Nautilus or Scion or Renekton or something. Like he's just going to pick a Bruiser against it. Is And I and I think yeah. that's <sighs> fine for Kiana. I think well, well I think maybe I think Kiana gets her kills from running anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. I have a few draft points as well. Uh, hopefully it bridges a little bit. I think the Akali bands are, are super real from FPX, um, which means Akali Pantheon are already two of their bands on red side, which will definitely limit their ability to adjust their pick band throughout the series. They can adjust the picks, but if there's like a meta pick that they end up not being an answer, that could just go super wrong. Uh, so the early games of this series will be really telling. Like, I think they're going to force a rise ban. Otherwise, they're full first pick that over any other champion. But if they're on red side, like, are those immediately their three bans? And then if they can't win the Zaya versus Kaisa matchup, what's their next plan, right? I don't think they actually have the flexibility there as an example. The actual flexibility, I think, comes from what does Doonby have left? Because the success and failure of this team is about whether or not his like wacky pick that no one else has been able to get data on works. I, I know Predator Rumble Min has like sparse play in Master Challenger, but that felt so out of left field. Like I checked Lawalytics to look at like the Keystone win rates. Predator Rumble Mid didn't have one. Because so few people were playing it. I think Rumble Mid is, is Rumble still going to be thing. a very strong point. Rumble Mid has be. been a thing for months, and I think will continue to be be so. But like he was playing yeah. old Pantheon Mid in the LPL. Uh, anyway, he's he's got a very very quirky champ pool that totally changed the game, and the success or failure of that uh, will be super important. So, Jack, you it. said sixty forty earlier. I assume sticking with sixty forty, and you feel like sure. most of FPX is dependent on. On draft, it sounds like, from what you're saying? Well, it's not... I actually don't know if it's dependent on draft. It's dependent on whether or not their draft strategy works. Because if it doesn't work, I don't know if they'll be able to adjust mid-series. 
it's kind of like the very first game when you're feeling out opponents and you say, all right, we're going to let through Renekton because we got Quinn. And then as soon as that doesn't work, you go, damn it, we're banning Renekton, <laughs> right? So I don't, they don't have that. This needs to work. It didn't work. All right, then. All right, then what? You give them a collie who you've banned 10 games in a row? That just feels worse. So that's, that's my example. Right. Uh, I would like to say that I think FPX have demonstrated flexibility in countering strategies in their Fnatic series okay. being so different from their Invictus series. If you remember the beginning of the Fnatic series, um, where they, Fnatic posed a, them this question of, what are you going to do when th we throw out every possible global at you? Gangplank, Twisted Fate, all these things aimed for mm. splitting the map. The Rengar top, even. Um, and, and Rengar top with an early lead at that. And FBX answered with attacking hard towards the stragglers. Um, so... They already kind of gave us a preview. G2 very good at splitting the map. Very possibly could go for a strategy similar. Um, the preview is Crisp had to step up. Uh, and it was again over and over these engages that they made to get these picks on Fnatic before Fnatic could set up their pressure and set up um, their split map. So I feel like we have at least gotten insight into the game plan. Um, obviously, it's a completely different game, completely different setup, but I feel like they do have options. Yeah, Varus Tom was, I think, the biggest part of that option to like stop them from being able to successfully dive bot. Uh, I think overall, their strategies do play towards bottom side. LWX yep. led the LPL in kills. He leads worlds in kills. They're still playing as kooky or crazy as it looks somewhat just the same way that they have been in the LPL, even if they choked a little bit early on in the group stage. So yeah, Gangplank is going to be a priority pick for them. How that's matched by Wonder is going to be very interesting, whether or not his Vladimir can smash it, or if he has another pick that will be successful into it. Uh, I, I'm excited. I, I, we're all going to be doing more draft prep. This is a like Tuesday morning <laughs> after the semifinals. We have like five or six days until finals. So these are mainly just yeah. First impressions, so, kind of staring yeah. at their last fi pick final thoughts. Yeah. Here it is. Here it is. Ooh. The MVP of this final will be Crisp or Mickey. It should be anyway. Well, or you Mickey. also said Mickey's been the MVP of MSI, the semifinal. Yes. yes. And like, yeah. this is the thing the support will be the difference maker. Because what I think when it comes to these two, especially, is Number one, how do they play in lane? We both know that both supports very good at enabling their AD carries. But mm -hmm. the bigger thing that both of these provide is how they work with their jungler to play through mid. And that allows your mid laner to then roam. And both of them love this style. Even though Doonby typically roams bot, he can roam top. In my opinion, the biggest strat that G2 could come into this game with is getting a winning bot side and forcing FPX to play through top because that's not how they typically play. But uh, I really think that a lot of weight will come down onto supports, how well they work with their junglers, and um, how that then influences mid lane and how it accesses the map. So I think like game five, it's going to be Pike from Mickey. He's going to pop off. Are we going to get a game five? Yeah. A Pike. <laughs> we, we, yeah, I think it's five games. I, I think it's five games. I, from what Jet said, it made me feel more like if the Jet theory is correct and g2 start to win and fpx don't have answers we could be like a three i mean if we're following one. the script sure you can go three one three one's the three safe one bet. three one everything's been okay. three one why not right, three two so. why don't is this going to be the year we get like the perfect final or is it just going to be another three oh 
Five games. Five I'm games. Going, five games. Five I mean, games, there's a hundred percent four games, but I think it's five. I think it's five. All right. A hundred percent for more than three games. No, I didn't say. Sorry, a hundred percent. There will be it will be three one to someone a that's, minimum. That's okay. I, how many? What, what are the odds you're going to give me? Ten thousand to one that it's not a three zero. I'll take Ten. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Jack's I mean, trying to make some money, but yeah. what are you trying to throw down right there's now? There's always a chance. It's a Ten dollars. Five dollars. I don't think it'll be three zero. Um, are you predicting? Right. Are you guys predicting G two? I'm predicting G2. I'm going to say 3-2. I will go G2, 3-2. Kobe, Kobe there is an element of bias there, and I'll hold my hand up and say that is partly bias. Yeah, I'm I'm decided on pretty much G2, but the game score is up in the air still. Also, once again, it's Tuesday. Kobe, yeah. you've got time. So if yeah. anyone wants to hold him accountable, like, how dare he not have a strong opinion? You're like, let him rewatch the games, people. He took a yeah. day off. We also <laughs> traveled yesterday and had a horrible <laughs> first day here. Uh <laughs> we won't go into <laughs> look all i'm saying is mcdonald's is great no matter where you go <laughs> <laughs> mcdonald's was the savior um so tons of people have asked questions a lot of them are about if na is salty or not we'll skip, we'll skip. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, uh, i can answer that we're not salty because sure. we're used to it no i have a new angle to deal with na's losing at international events <clears throat> got it sure. um this might not resonate for people who don't live in America, uh, but I would say the Cubs and the Red Sox would be nowhere near as popular if they had won a World Series earlier. But the fact that the Cubs lost for 100 years developed <laughs> very de- dedicated Cubs fans. Don't you dare What's the day today? How many years in years? And when they finally <laughs> did win the World Series, it was like the most popular World Series ever. So I'm just saying... When NA eventually wins, whether it's a hundred years from now or not, it's gonna be inevitably like amazing. So don't give up. It has it to happen the eventually, right? It, it has, has to happen to. eventually. It will yeah. eventually. It will. I'm not saying yeah. next year. I'm not yeah. saying in five years. But the the process is what's gonna yeah. be rewarding. So you know how the continental plates are constantly moving. Uh, are, oh, are we going to have to no. wait, <laughs> wait until there's a merger with another? Yeah. We made the MSI finals this mass. year, Kobe. Come on. The, <laughs> there it is. Um, so this is one of the recent pieces of controversy, along with Vettius saying things about SKT. Um, there's a lot of people up in arms for context about like these press conferences, teams doing press conferences. So this question is very simple um, from Cuckbab wonderful name anime icon classic uh what Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on press conferences yay or nay to clarify some of the issues where Uh, people felt like it was hard for skt people felt like the questions asked weren't weren't the greatest like what are you guys thoughts on Mm. on press conferences i mean i think that we should have press conferences uh i i didn't actually read or or watch watch the actual transcript I saw some of the examples and I thought that those were terrible questions that were asked. I don't Mm -hmm. think that means that you should not have a press conference, though. Yeah, uh, I come from more of a sports background where I've watched a lot of professional sports uh, stuff. And I would say that some of the examples of the questions asked SKT were really like, I think, poor for the time. Like, for instance, when the whole team is up there and you're asking Coma, are you guys doing roster changes? Right? He's just, you're never going to get a good answer. That's why it's a bad question, um, because you're not giving him an opportunity to answer. And I think other things like, hey, Faker, why were you shaking, can be worded better. Like, I don't think the, the actual 
spirit of the question of, hey, Faker, try and take me through that moment when, so NBA playoffs, uh, game seven of the Raptors versus the Sixers, like Kawhi Leonard hit this amazing game-winning shot to end the series, and one of the stars of the 76ers, like Joel Embiid, left the court crying. Someone asked him, like, why did this loss mean so much to you? Like, I'm 100% sure someone would have asked him a similarly themed question. So I do think we should have press conferences. I think the reporters should try and do a better job at phrasing the questions in a way that will give them answers. And press conferences actually, for a losing team, always feel bad. I've watched dozens of really awkward, bad press conferences in professional sports. Uh, it, it depends on the re- the the people asking the questions to put thought into like, how can I actually get a response? Cause you don't want to be yeah. disrespectful, but you do actually have to ask hard questions because that's, that's why it exists. There's also, two sides of sports. One is yeah. victory. One is defeat and victory. Isn't as cool. If the defeat is just like, Oh, all right. No, just these like hundred percent easy on him. Just like everything's fine. You did great. Double thumbs up. Like there's, there's, yeah, there's also from my perspective, like just cause some people are asking, questions either not phrased well or poorly timed or not well thought out doesn't mean that everyone is right and like remember esports is still very young in the scheme of things there are a lot of young fresh-faced writers getting into esports there are a lot of people coming from outside Mm -hmm. of esports getting into esports and like there's going to be um one there's always going to be bad press conferences like there's just gonna there's gonna be bad days or rough days i'm not saying this was a good press conference i think it was a bad press press conference i'm just not surprised that's just if anyone was not clear about what i said yeah yeah but i think that like if if one or two truly great articles come out of this, like right where like someone mm-hmm. got some real insight and can share with the rest of the world, I'll say it's worth it. I think the press is an important part of of making esports great, and I think that like you got to give give them that time, even if sometimes there are hiccups and it makes Coma's life a little a little harder in these moments of defeat. Um, last question, because we're out of time. From Tavi <laughs> at Darkovit says, "Have you ever seen a baby pigeon?" A baby pigeon. A baby pigeon. Have you ever seen a baby pigeon? No. I live in the UK. How have I never seen a baby pigeon? I see pigeon? pigeons all the time, and I'm thinking now that I've never seen a baby pigeon in my life. So, they can't be born that size, though. <laughs> of course they're not born that size. Maybe they grow really fast. So I mean, maybe. How long? Or they look different when they're a kid. What if they're like doves? They're just white when they're babies. Maybe you so have you seen a baby one. pigeon, and you're like, oh, look at that rat. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the rat evolutionary side. We figured it out. Uh, this this reminded me of uh, a fly question. Have you ever heard that flies only live for 24 hours? Yes, I've heard yeah. that. There's no way that's I, true. I haven't heard. Yeah, There's yeah I know. Way. Okay, thank God. I, no, mayflies. Mayflies only live 24 hours. Okay, but mayflies, like the flies that get that, stuck in your house and bash against the yeah, window yeah, for like no, I've, six I've had days. one alive for at least yeah. three days. Six yes. unique flies. Like, yes. period. <laughs> they're not up. breeding over and over again just to <laughs> run into your window yeah. at all hours of the night. I'm with you, Jack. I was. I, I kept telling that to my <laughs> SO, and they're like. This is the same fly. I'm like, no, it must be a new fly and reproducing. He's looked. Because the first time I hit him, but the second time. The cycle of life and death is a single family of flies just repeatedly bashing this window. Yeah, but I haven't seen a baby pigeon. Random biology fact for flies. Did you also know that when a fly lands on your food, because they don't have stomachs, they're sucking up the food, spitting out their stomach acid onto the food, and then they just. Set Kobe. the nutrients up back through their little 
proboscis or whatever they, it's called. They do live digestion. Yeah, so that they digest right, on yeah. your food. So if they're landing on your food, it's not just them sitting there. Next time you like brush it away, <laughs> it's probably like puking out stomach acid on. So your just food a note for all of you experiencing flies in your life: they are vomiting on your food. And, <laughs> and with that, really, right. I think we can all we, look we forward. Yeah. Yeah. Give us one more. We, we can't have that. Come on. Have anything. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a ton. A lot of it's like stuff that I think we've already answered. Probably. Uh, let's just end really really easy. SNKJ Huosun says, uh, "How are you guys?" We'll skip that one. We'll talk. Doing great. We're good. I'm doing great. We're great. What's your favorite moment in this world's and why? Real quick, like Ooh. quick hits. My favorite moment is still the shies. Um, other than casting a semifinal, personally, obviously that was hype, and seeing G2 in the finals. If they win worlds, that'll be my favorite moment. But uh, otherwise, the shies sick KO alt. Um, where he the flashed three man flash people. forward, yeah, yeah. I thought that was that was super sweet. If you want um, more, check out Team Fight Breakdown <laughs> with Jet IG versus Griffin. I covered that fight. Uh, I think my favorite moment was when Nemesis killed Faker, but only because <laughs> we now. So someone said in the Reddit thread, wait until next year when this is the main narrative for Fnatic. And I replied with, that's a good point. I'll remember it for next year. And now like we get to go in with this narrative of every time Fnatic bring a, a, a new Midnight to the world, he kills Faker. Uh, so, yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, so I, I've been here since playing, so I, I can't actually think through all the moments. I think the one that is top of mind is just uh, how tense the G2 versus SKT series was, as like holistically would have been my favorite moment. Um, Kobe, you answer. Maybe I'll get a, like a specific team fight or something. My favorite moment when I was the only one to predict IG beating Griffin. <laughs> Hell yeah. And then everyone was congratulating me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I asked Kobe backstage, why did you predict Griffin? And he said, the only way Team Liquid couldn't have got out of groups was by losing to the world champion. So they obviously have to be. <laughs> That's great. not exactly what I said. I didn't say world champions. <laughs> no, you said the, the reigning world champions. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The reigning world champions. <laughs> All right. Bless. <laughs> but it was great. I know, like, obviously Kobe had real reasoning for it, but, like, that was I, funny. Did you also, in the cold <laughs> opening, there was another meme uh, yeah. reason. The meme reasons are <laughs> fast and plentiful. Yeah. Did you th have enough time to think yet? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was a great series, great yeah. semifinals. I'm looking forward to a great final. Thank you guys for um, for this meeting with us via Paris. Really looking forward to the clickbait title. Fettius thinks G2 oh my goodness. This is going to happen. Yeah. Did, Have you just, not seen that in instant front page? Yeah. yeah. Pat yeah. calling Fettius an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Said he's super stupid. <laughs> Dracos. That's what they'll say. Yeah. <laughs> People won't know who said yeah. what. I'll have to watch. And that's how we do clickbait here on Dive War Episode 4. Thank you again, everyone who's watched at home throughout the entire thing. Look forward to the World Finals this weekend. Fun Plus Phoenix versus G2 Esports. Find out who wins then. Woo. Later.